Folks, welcome back to another episode of the Knicks World Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Kyle Maggio, joined by my co-host, as always, Mike Cortez and Sean Geddes. What's going on, fellas? You're in a great fucking mood. You know, it's interesting you say that, Mike. Uh, wh- why are you in a great mood right now? I don't think I have to say anything. I'll just play something. We got Cam Reddish, boys. I was talking about it, I think, two pods ago. And not only did we get him, we got him for the low, low. This reminded me immediately of the Derrick Rose trade, where we shipped off Dennis Smith, who was clearly not going to get much value, at least to the naked eye. Like, we didn't think that he would turn into anything. Now we see this with Knox, who was pretty much untradeable, if you asked me yesterday. And now you flip him for Cam Reddish, Apparently that they made this move to plan to sign him. So clearly this was a move made with the future in mind as well. So it's not just in the moment, but man, it, it really checks every box of what I wanted. I think the pick they gave away was a, a protected Charlotte pick. So it's not like we even gave away anything worth crying about. We kept Grimes. And I also want to find out who in the Nick front office was telling somebody chill. Don't include Grimes because you are a hero. But, man, this is just – now you have a really, really good young core. I'm bullish on Cam. I think coming out of the draft, I was a little low on him just because of what else we could have gotten. But you give me RJ and Cam, I'm a very happy camper. For those who didn't really watch him at Duke or didn't watch him in Atlanta, this guy has really, really, like, legitimate potential. He was really good on defense at Duke. The offense was where he kind of checked out, but – if you've seen Twitter, you scroll Atlanta Hawks spaces, and <laughs> I got to find that speech because that shit had me crying. But you see somebody that's on the verge of exploding on both ends of the court. He's gone off for 30 points multiple times. He had a big playoff game last year. So this is really untapped potential, high upside, very low price. There's not much more you can be mad about. And Leon Rose, masterclass yet again. Yeah. So I just to give the official details for the trade, uh, because they, the officially official release was just put out, so we do know all the fine print. Uh, the Knicks acquired Cam Reddish and Solomon Hill and a 2025 second-round pick from Atlanta in exchange for Kevin Knox, uh, one of the premier Fortnite players this world has ever seen, uh, a future <laughs> first-round pick that we got from Charlotte, which uh, we it's kind of been settled over Twitter, but um, this was a pick also... I don't want to gloss over the detail that may or may not have converted. So this was selling out a pick that, you know, possibly wasn't going to be anything anyway. And they were able to, to move that pretty quickly. And uh, as a big trade, the picks guy, this made me very happy that they did, you know, move this particular one quickly uh, on a buy low guy, but they also waived um, guard Ryan. uh, What's his last name? I'm not going to butcher this. You guys can do it. Archie Diacono. Archie Diacono. Thank you, Mike. Uh, you know, Matt Spenley, I know, listens, is going to get a good kick out of this one. But yeah, I was sidestepping that one. Uh, 
Sean, I want your take on this. Uh, I know as a longtime Kevin Knox enthusiast, this probably hurts you to see him go. But uh, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on Cam here? Kevin Knox enthusiast is hilarious. Um, I mean, shout out to my guy, Kev, man. You know, we appreciated your time here. I appreciated your time here. Um, you know, I had high hopes for you once. And I wish you the best in Atlanta. Well, actually, I don't like the hook. So I wish you the best in your personal life. Um, but with Cam being here, man, I'm very excited. You know, and a lot of the things Mike just said, Cam is a very high potential guy on both ends of the floor. Um, you know, he's 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 even just the length alone defensively is like the type of uh, asset that can almost change a defense. Like if you add his length to the floor out there, out there next to the perimeter defender we've seen RJ can be, you know, like it makes us more switchable, uh, gets us in the passing lanes more, things like that. And then as a shooter, I mean, he just he's he has a very high ceiling, you know, and on such a low risk move, like had we given up more for this, there'd be reason to be less happy about it. But I think now we just get to see what Cam Reddish can become with us almost like, I mean, and no disrespect to Kevin Knox, but almost for free. I mean, just like, hey, look, look, get a little, you know, if we want to sign. I mean, if you end up signing him to an extension, which we likely will because we traded the first round pick at the end of the day, even though I don't have any qualms about the first round pick either. I think that was the first asset I wanted to trade. I think it was our least valuable pick. Um, I didn't value it very high personally. I don't even think it's going to convey until like 2024, probably something like that. Like I just, you know, so I'm very happy about us moving off of that pick um getting Kevin Knox out and then getting back Cam Reddish and getting that opportunity I think he can fit very well next to RJ even if they weren't people who played together in college I think he's a great wingman next to RJ um especially as we see and, and it's also very cool that like RJ is stepping in his own and I know we'll get to it later but the fact that he's stepping into his own and now we're acquiring a running mate for, of his in college who also is on the same timeline uh, is also a high potential guy that can really grow next to him and it could be a really nice winning duo and somebody who spaces the floor. He can put the ball on the floor, get a little floater off. He can get to the basket and finish. He had a couple finishes against us when I, when we played them. And I was like, yo, that was kind of nice. That was like around or through Mitch. Like I was like, that's kind of crazy. So just on what he's able to do, you know, it, it's kind of cool to see how close to that ceiling he can get people in the, you know, like players in like, there's a respect for Cameron Reddish's game at the end of the day. And like seeing, seeing the response from Hawks fans, like Mike said, that, that one space, oh my goodness, it was music to my ears. Like I, I was, it was beautiful. So, you know, with that, like with them feeling that way, as people who got to watch him closely since he was drafted, I'm excited for the potential he has to grow here and be another part of our young core. Leon Rose masterclass. We trade like out of having what the 21st and the 23rd pick in the draft and 20 and 32nd. We ended up with Deuce McBride, Quentin Grimes, Rokas, Jericho Sims, and Cam Reddish. I just don't know. Like, I don't know. You, you've just got to applaud Leon Rose. That's an absolute masterclass. And, you know, I have so much trust in this front office. This is the second trade where it's kind of been a fleece and it's a two for two on trades. Their only blooper is, you know, that other thing. But two for two on trades, great drafting. I It's very efficient. They're doing a great job. They're taking high potential swings, like high upside swings with low risk. I couldn't be happier. How do you feel, Kyle? We know you're not often happy about things. You're not the biggest Reddish guy. But you also, like, were the biggest non-Knox guy. So you must be conflicted. Since day one, nay, since before day one, I was anti-Knox. Uh, leading into the 
listen, I never have, like, folks always love to act like I was, like, down on guys because we drafted them. When I was always down on guys well ahead of us drafting or obtaining these guys, like, these are not new takes that I had once they got here. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to be negative, you know? Like, Kevin Knox was like, I was vehemently against Kevin Knox pre-draft. And again, I like to bring, when, I, when I'm vehement about draft stuff, I like to always note every single time that I'm not a draft guy. I don't spend tons of time watching college ball. I don't. It's not that I'm clueless. I usually just wait until I know where the Knicks are going to pick. I see the five, six names that are jumbled, right? Then I go back, I watch the actual tape, I watch some games over, you know, then I actually get a feel for who they're looking at because I don't got time to keep up. Oh, they might pick one this year. They might pick 10 this year. And then I, I tailor who I'm watching live during each season based on that. I'm going to waste a lot of my time. That's how I feel. Knox, I watched a lot of Knox. I did not like Kevin Knox. I was anti-Knox. I wanted either of the bridges. Uh, didn't get either of them. Didn't get either of them. I was not sold during the, his rookie campaign, which was arguably his best season. Not arguably, it was his best season with us. Uh, and it just was not, he didn't do anything. You know, I, I don't, it, just, it brings me no joy saying that I watched him out there doing nothing every day, uh, you know, but I, he just was not good. He was not good at anything in the game of basketball. He was lost a lot. I don't know if the speed of the game threw him off. But listen, they tried it. Sometimes you take a swing on a guy, it doesn't work. I don't know why they, they chose him for the swing. It did not work. Like, I at least expected it to. And we here is where we got to after, you know, three years. Um, but on that note, the fact that he was the young guy going back baffles me. I have no idea why Atlanta went for that. I, especially if Grimes was the other guy you were considering, you, it feels like we're couldn't the middle ground that had been like a deuce or again, not that I'm advocating for having traded them. I just feel like from an Atlanta standpoint, I can't believe you got suckered into taking Kevin Knox. Cause that guy is a waste of space. Like that guy does nothing. He's just going to go sit on the bench with a blank stare for 48 minutes every game, looking nervous in his warmups. Like that's about all that you're going to get from him. So, I mean, I do feel bad for him from that standpoint, you know, and again, I'm not trying to harp on it, but like he was really bad for us. Like really like extraordinarily bad this year. He came in, you know, last year a little bit, you know, he gave effort in his five, six minute spurts that he came in once every two weeks. But I mean, it was what it was, you know, Kevin Knox was just not it, but my actual reaction to the trade, I'm just going to read off my tweet from earlier today. I have four bullet points. I like the Cam Reddish trade. Genuinely do. I think it's a good buy low, taking a, a flyer on a guy. Great opportunity to do so. He's not good. Right now, he's not good. I have notably been out on Cam for a while. Again, this is another pre-draft thing. I obviously, I love Zion. Obviously, I loved RJ. I did not want Cam Reddish under any circumstances. Did not, did not buy it. Did not see it. The upside people saw. Did not see it. It is what it is, right? However... The cost to get him was more than reasonable, as we just pointed out. It was Knox a, a pick that might not convert? I mean, that's, to me, that's, as, as like you said, Sean, almost free. As close to free as you can get is what we just did, right? So basically, for, for free, you got him, and you have a chance to sign him, and you don't got to rush to sign him and extend him because, sorry, he's only due for his, uh, his uh, contract extension after next season in 2023. So you got a whole year now to just dick around, figure out what you want to do with him, how you're going to play him, who you're going to play him with, see if he's actually developing the way he wanted the two. Uh, you know, Mike mentioned the, the defensive aspect. Okay, well, you have Tom Thibodeau here. We're not idiots. Uh, obviously, they brought him in for something with that pairing. You traded a first to get him here for something with that pairing. You didn't trade him here to not play him. 
to not incorporate him in some fashion. So I'm interested to see what and how they're going to do that. Um, so for me, it's a pretty solid trade. I mean, all things considered, I think it's a good trade just off the, the cost, off the value of what went and what came here. Um, you know, I think obviously the Hawks are trying to get out of a little bit of salary and obviously they didn't seem to want to pay Cam. So that was their incentive for making the trade. But um, just in my opinion, like given how disappointing Fournier has been, um, I think taking another stab at a off-ball guard is is exactly what you'd want them to do. I'm not. Th- this is about the last margin move I want to see them make. To be honest with you, and even though I'm, I've been out on Cam, like now that he's here, willing to give him a shot because uh, I saw some of the his numbers when he did start games when he did play bigger minutes. It's an incredibly small sample size. It's like seven games. He's averaging like 18 points. Shoots almost 40 percent from deep. It's not nothing. It's not nothing. I can see why people are intrigued. I can see why people now more so because the previous two years, he was really not good this year. I think he started to show a little bit more of the flashes that people wanted. And yeah, so I, I think that warrants taking a flyer. I think that warrants it, especially when you're not paying much to get him. And uh, I, I just hope that they play him now. That's my biggest thing is because if you're going to get a guy like this, you're going to, you're going to trade a pick. It's great. But, you know, it, it shouldn't be for nothing where he ends up back on the bench and he's playing 10 minutes a game. If you're going to trade a pick, you know, you should do it with intention. So I just want to make sure that there's a real plan now. Um, you know, I, I think while they're shorthanded a guard a little bit, he, you know, he, he kind of factors into the equation a little bit easier. But once you get Derrick Rose back, I, that's more of what I'm interested to see, like what the actual plan is with how they incorporate him, because that's going to really show you whose minutes he's eating away at. Uh, normally it's going to be the rookies. We know this with Tom Thibodeau's team. That's the worry when Grimes has kind of come off and played a little bit better. You know, he, he's, he's been pretty consistently solid, especially in the defensive end. He's been a pest. So, you know, that worries me a bit. It always is going to worry us with those younger guys when they finally get minutes. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a uh, survival of the fittest with the younger gentlemen that are on this roster now. And, uh, you know, you're going to have to earn whatever minutes you have, you have basically a lot of guys we want to see play. They're not all going to play. They're just not, you add another guy in here now who's younger. They traded a pick. He's going to have to play. So curious to see that, but I do think that this might be a good fit for him. We had that guy that came into spaces before too. claims that have been, you know, closer to, or, or knows cam or is talking to him a number of times. I, I don't know. I don't know, you know, how true or not true these things are. People say a lot of things, but, you know, this gentleman was saying that, you know, Cam would be fired up to come here, yada, yada, yada. You know, I hope so. I, it seems like he's a guy who's very high on himself uh, from all accounts. Even with um, the reports coming out of the Atlanta situation, he was unhappy there months ago and wanted out. Seems like a guy who really thinks he's ready for a bigger opportunity, ready for a bigger role. So I'm assuming the Knicks made a trade to give him some form of that. So then let's see, you know, it, it's not a bad thing to acquire guys with a chip on their shoulder. It's not a bad thing to acquire guys with a high level of confidence in themselves. So let's just see now what we can do with it. I think, I think it's a good thing. I, I think obviously, you know, we can talk about all the Duke connections, him and RJ back together, uh, you know, any continuity there, any friendship there. Uh, I think there's a number of different levels where you can look at this as a Knicks fan and feel pretty comfortable, especially again, given that it really, cost us nothing it's like oh it's more just set us on a timer now we got one year to decide if we're going to actually pay this guy or not if not you gave up almost nothing it's a harmless thing to walk away from if you want to pay him let's see what it's actually going to cost 
once he starts proving or not proving what it, what he's supposed to, you know, be asking for there. But I think I do. I don't know. I, I last thing I do agree kind of with Mike too. It is in that same sort of vein as the Rose trade. I think he's going to be less of a contributor than Rose was. I think Rose kind of needed to come in right away because Peyton was so bad that they needed to have somebody come and play 25, 30 minutes like yesterday in order to shore that up. But I think Cam's going to come in and play minutes. I, I, I do. I don't know where or, or what minutes, but I think he's going to come in. I don't know if he's going to do – at first, it's wild we play the Hawks on Saturday. I don't know if Cam's going to play that game. Seems like kind of a toss-up right now. He's probably got a clear physical and all that other shit. But um, it's kind of wild to me that, like, of all the teams you could have traded for, with and of all the times you could have been scheduled to play that team, it's it's set up for a can thirty piece in Atlanta. Let's I get need it. it. I need it like I need air. <laughs> oh my goodness, I'll be so obnoxious. <laughs> uh, but realistically, he probably won't play that much um, on Saturday, especially. It'd be cool if he does, but like you said, we gave up a first round pick. Like, yeah, it was a pick that probably won't convert, but we gave up. A, it was an asset at the end of the day. We gave up an actual asset. Um, and clearly, like, this is for a guy who felt like he wanted a bigger role. I don't think that we traded for him so that we could take him from his Atlanta warmups to his next one. Like, I think he's going to be on the floor. And I hope that it – and that's interesting. So he, his extension is after next season, right? Okay, so, yeah, that's even a guy like – I mean, that's almost even added to a war chest of assets and young players. Like, if you play him and he's playing well enough over, like, you know, by next year or whatever, like, and somebody went, like, that's, I don't know. I just, it, it's a good move, like, all the way around. I'm I'm really excited about it. And I'm excited about seeing him on the floor out there. Like, whether, whatever lineup he's in, I mean, he's a long, rangy guy that's a very capable defender and he shoots well. And, and I like, he has, like, a high release at 6'8". You know, like, he's, I mean, Mike, what are some of the reasons that you're, like, really, because you're, like, a, you're, you are ecstatic today. You're a cam stand. Yeah, it's just because it's he's legitimate. Like, we keep on saying two-way. Like, that was the hope with Knox. It's like, oh, maybe he can make a two-way forward. Cam was already locking people up. It was always about him getting buckets and heading into Duke. That wasn't supposed to be the problem. Like, you ask, you check out any old ball is life thing. Anthony Edwards is the most popular one. But there are a lot of people saying, like, yo, Cam gave me, like, 50, 40. I know it's AAU, but those are still cream of the crop. So the skill set was always there. And then on the note with RJ, him and RJ played the whole season together. Zion, when Zion was out, it was him and RJ. It was up to them too. So there is real chemistry there. I saw Berman in classic Berman fashion try and say that they had issues, but I think that's cap. I think they get along. I think they just flow well. Now you put those two on the wings. I mean, RJ, we saw last night. I mean, Sean, you said it best. He had Luke in jail. And now you have another guy who's capable of shackling somebody in Cam Reddish. So you kind of have like, I'm, it's not, I'm, this is a very hot take, but not, you know, an archetype of similar to what the Clippers have with Kawhi and Paul George, where you have two very capable two-way players if all goes well. I think that's a really good setup. And now you can really play around with the other pieces because you guys mentioned Fournier as being the real only front office miss. Now maybe you could offload him and take on a bad deal and just say, hey, we still have young guys. We don't really need to – we could pay somebody to go away in a sense. So that opens up for that. And then, obviously, I got to add a little conspiracy theory to stay true to the brand. Zion, he hasn't played in a while. 
I know for a fact, we all know for a fact, you don't need to be an insider. He wants out of New Orleans. If you have two, it makes it a lot easier to get that third one there. So all those reasons, and I don't know. I just really, I really, really like this move. I'm playing around with lineups right now. I think Cam could start out on the bench mob. I think right now you could run out IQ, Grimes, Cam, OB, Noel, where you could run out AB, which FIQ is actually starting, AB, Grimes, Cam. Then you can even play Cam at the four. So he could play two through four. It's just a lot of versatility, man. So I know it's a long answer, but that's he fits every little bit of everything that we need. Zion is inevitable. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I have never believed in, you know, oh, we're going to get the team up thing working out first, like I did with the Zion thing. I have nothing to report. I'm not a reporter. I have heard little things here and there about the credence of the RJ Zion interest of playing with each other. I didn't believe it. Uh, I downplayed it. Cam Reddish is now in New York, and I want to believe it. I'd like to reverse course. I'd like to, I'd like to lean in. Because, I mean, it'd be exciting. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I love Julius. Everybody knows that. But by the time Zion's not forcing his way out this year, he's not forcing his way out next year. We know how the young player thing goes. You keep your head down. You do what you got to do. You take that gigantic maximum contract bag from whichever shitty franchise was lucky enough to draft you, and then you just bide your time and you wait until – the situation is is perfect for you to really make the move, and then you you get out of it. And I think that's what's going to happen. I think he's going to sign a massive, massive deal with the Pelicans. They they have invested too much in that situation for it to fail. They're going to throw him his monster bag, injuries and all. He's going to take that bag, and then he's just going to buy it his time. And I think, you know, we got Julius's new deal kicks in after this year, so you got four years with Julius upcoming. If the Zion thing isn't shaping up. That's fine. You're going to get a lot of production out of Julius. If it does shape up, Julius is probably going to be nearing the end of his deal as that's happening, and then that becomes a favorable situation. I'm get, I don't want to put the cart ahead of the horse here. This is not the Zion Williamson podcast. However, I did want to take a minute to, to dabble in the fantasy that could be because it's not that far off. It's, nope. You got two out of three, and they all seem to really like each other and playing with each other. It's not ridiculous this time. And I, I'm usually the first one on this podcast poo-pooing you guys for the stupid ideas. About, <laughs> oh, we're finally going to luck into this star. This guy's finally going to come here. This guy, I, it could happen this time. I really, I, I have drunk the Kool-Aid. I, I do think that it is very, 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 very much on the table. For our body language experts, sorry, Sean, real quick. If you look at how Zion talked about the garden and the way Zion talked about Cam Reddish, there's the same glow in his eyes, same smile, same grin. I'm telling you. Damn, I got to see the one about him talking about Cam Reddish. I definitely remember when he was talking about the garden. He was I'll send it up. to you. It was crazy. So, yeah, I mean, the Zion thing is pretty realistic. And, I mean, as far as biding his time goes, we're ahead of schedule. I feel like Zion is already buying his time, honestly. <laughs> like, I think he's already be. I feel like if Zion was in the situation he wanted to be in, he'd be back on the court. I don't know anything. I'm not a medical doctor. I have no idea what's going on with his foot. Even the fact that he's not training, like he's not rehabbing with the team, like all of that, I just don't think he has any interest over there. 
Um, so who knows when that happens, but it's definitely something that could be in the cards. I mean, it's been very clear. It was already said. I think not only like you're like, oh, I got this. Like I heard it somewhere. RJ said it like they've said it. They've said they want to play together. Like, you know, they haven't been shy about that. Um, and now we've got two out of three. If those two are here thriving and Zion, so we, everyone knows Zion doesn't like, we don't even have to say, oh, the Knicks are going to get this one. It's going to be the time it happens. Because we're enjoying what we have right now. One that's just like, I mean, logic and like a slight foresight and possibility. If the Knicks are thriving and RJ's playing, I mean, RJ looks like he's going to be an all-star next year. Like if he's playing the way he's playing right now, but the Knicks are thriving, Cameron and RJ are doing well. And Zion is unhappy with his situation and makes a demand. Where do people think he's going to ask to go? You know, it's just the place where his face lights up when he talks about it. It all makes a lot of sense. I mean, we don't have to like jump down a rabbit hole or really discuss it any further, like beyond, like it doesn't have to be something we talk about after every game or anything like that, but it doesn't sound crazy. Interesting storyline to me. And I guess this could kind of transition to the RJ talk. I wonder if RJ a had any role in this and B did he really push for this? Because if that's the case, this is a very good shift of the front office starting to push RJ a little ahead of Randall, not as a bat, not as a slight to Randall, but I mean, we've talked about it many times on this podcast. We've talked about it in Slack. RJ was taken third overall. That is a position that you want to have your franchise star. So Randall's great year and all that's great. But if everything goes according to plan, RJ Barrett has to be better than Julius Randall, I think. So I think this is a very promising, if he did have play a role in this, I think that's very promising that the front office is listening to him and trying to do what they did for Randall two years ago, where it's like, what do we need to put around you to be successful? I think it, I think it's it definitely played a part, but I don't I don't know if I do it frame it as much as, you know, oh, they want him to be the franchise guy versus this was a guy that he was probably just more familiar with. Um, that's my only hesitation there. But I don't think that I don't think they also would, you know, only do it for that reason either. So I think there I do think there's some credit to it. I mean, I don't think they'd be asking his opinion for no reason just because they were buddies. I think they'd actually value his input, hopefully. I mean, look, this is a – with this front office, you got to remember, this is a guy who was a former agent, a power agent, with Leon Rose and CAA. Uh, with that, that means that's a guy who's familiar and good with dealing with players. So you would have to assume that when you're running the team, you probably have some contact with players. I'm hoping you do, and, and you have a good line of communication with how you're able to talk to them. And if that's the case, then, yeah, the top couple dogs in your team, you should be able to run these ideas by. You should be able to talk to them. Nothing wild, but hey, we're on the, the goal line here. We're about to get this trade done, and I just wanted your input. You know, you you really against this or you're not? Like, you know, what's what's your input? You played with them, you know them a little bit. You know, is this something you'd sign off on? Like, that's what it should be. That's what it should be. You know, it's a, to me, it's a mark of a good franchise and one that they've been trying to build in this direction anyway. So, I hope so. But um, I wonder – oh, my bad. I wonder, like, and just in kind of terms of how you said, like, with RJ being involved and things like that, possibly, I wonder what the locker room was like after this trade. Like, I wonder, like, how people are feeling. Because my thinking is, like, somebody's somebody's out. Somebody's about to go. Cameron just has to play. They traded a first-round pick for him. So, like, a wing is out. And it's just, like, who? And I feel like, I mean, it's tougher to move Evan. So, I think it makes the most sense that Alec Burks might be on his way out of here. But I think that it, no matter who it is, I feel like at, when you see this trade happen and you know we did, we gave up, we gave away zero minutes. 
and a first round pick. So something's coming back and he's going to play and he's going to be in a rotation. He's going to be in the franchise plan. So it's like, who's not? Yeah, look, no, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that this is also why they keep waving guys to leave that roster spot open. I think they're trying to clear space for whatever it is that they're about to do. And whatever it is they're about to do, we will pick it up on the other side of this break and uh, we will talk to you on the other side. So before the break, Sean had mentioned uh, some guys might be on the move because it's creating a log jam with what you spent to get certain guys here like Cam. You spent the first round pick to get him here. Obviously, that means you have some intention to play him, some intention to pay him potentially next year. In order to do that, he's got to play on the basketball court. But in order to do that, he's going to be taking somebody's minutes. So there is a number of guys who, you know, we've talked about moving. And we're going to talk about some trade deadline stuff here. But before we shift gears fully into that, uh, Cam, in our break time, you know, made a little post, uh, I think, on IG, right, Mike? A little little bing bong action. Yeah, he got um, a little bing bong action. Yeah, got a little, you know, with the with the Knicks main account post. So he's, he's ready. Uh, it's officially official. He's ready to go. Uh, hopefully he's feeling good. We'll see about that. But, um, just on, on the trade deadline chatter note here, I know that we wanted to see like a Nerlens Noel get moved, right? I know. We talked about it. Makes sense. His salary is respectable. He's still good enough that teams would, you know, possibly want to uh, take a stab about him for the salary he's making. And there's more than just that. You know, Sean brought up Alec Burks, who He's having a real good season for us. He's mostly been a role player, but more than just a role player. I feel like that undersells him a little bit. He's been really a Swiss Army knife. Uh, you need him to come off the bench, be a sixth, seventh man, he'll do it. You need him to come into the lineup, start at the two, he'll do it. You need him to play point guard tonight with the starters, he'll do it. He's kind of come in and just done anything, whether it's we need you to score 30 points tonight or we need you to just kind of defer, fill it up a little bit. So he's useful. I think teams know, know this. Now, I don't know what his true value is going to be. I think it's more contextual. You know, some teams are going to want him to just come off the bench, and then that's only going to cost so much, right? Some teams might want him in a bigger role like the Knicks have had, you know, and, and maybe they're strapped for assets. Maybe they give one of their better things up to get him, you know? I mean, there's a lot of different routes that this could go. Um, but I would happen to agree. I think that the Knicks, this has got to be step one of another trade. They can only be cautious for so long when it is a math problem. They have too many picks and too many young guys and not enough minutes or time to pick and play all these guys. So some guys have got to go. I don't know who it is. I don't know what the package will be. But the fact that the Knicks got busy with some kind of a deal, not way before, but pretty ahead of the trade deadline gives me some hope that they're going to be busy here in the next couple of weeks. Now, I want a De'Aaron Fox trade. That's, that's what I want. Uh, I've been clear about it. Uh, if, if you follow me, you know that this has been a five-year dream in the making. I wanted him in that draft. I wanted him badly. I did not get him in that draft. We have a second chance to get De'Aaron Fox. I don't know if it's going to be the move. I just think he's the most available guy that they could get. And I think that there's ways that they could do it. Um, so I would like to think that the Knicks are not done here. I would like to think that we can offload some of these assets. I don't know. I mean, I know Indiana is the other team because we keep hearing about Miles Turner coming up with the Knicks. I do think that that's, that's real interest also. 
I mean, we talked about this, Sean, on a previous podcast almost a month ago, but I mean, what are you guys' thoughts here? Like, who do you, uh, two questions is, you know, I, I know we brought up Jalen Brunson even as a trade target, but I mean, what is your prioritization here with some of these names that have come up? And on the flip side of just who you want, what's the prioritization of who you think we have to move in terms of, you know, it being reasonable and us getting something, a real tangible value to come back to us here? Uh, for me, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you, as I normally am. I am a De'Aaron Fox stan. I've been a swiper stan. I wanted him at draft. Uh, I love the speed he plays with, the way that he gets to the basket, how he is the floor general. We'd have a legitimate floor general, um, you know, and now I just feel like with the after the cam trade, I just feel like I can shape it up a little differently in terms of, like, what the line of potential could be, and especially, like, I feel like Cam is somebody we've decided to make an investment in. So it's like if we have Cam and RJ on the wings and they're 21 and 22 or, you know, and then you've got Julius at the four. I don't really – I don't care for Miles Turner, to be honest. I wouldn't be mad at the move, but I really like Mitch. I love Mitchell Robinson. I think he adds so much to us. I think that, yeah, you open the floor up a little bit more if you get Miles Turner. Not a little more. You open the floor up. But Miles Turner average, averages like seven boards a game. Mitchell Robinson might go get you seven offensive boards tonight. So it's just like, that's a huge aspect of what he does for us. And his activity is huge. He's a great guy to have in the middle. He's been dominating the paint recently. So I just think if you have him and allow him to grow into what he's growing into and, you know, getting De'Aaron Fox could bring all of that together sort of. And then at that point, I don't really care about picks and things like that. Like I don't really, we don't, we already don't have space to play the guys we're drafting. So like, that's no concern of mine. I think we're all on the same page there. Send the picks away. Go ahead. Um, we've done a great job in the draft. Uh, even if we have to have like, you know, and I'm confident we, what we can do with our second round picks moving forward if we really need to find a bargain guy to come in and get some minutes or something. Like, so I'm not worried about that. Um, so my main guy, yeah, as you said earlier, Kyle, I don't care for any more marginal moves. Um, we've, we're, we've got a lot of depth. We've got a lot of youth. I don't need anybody coming in here to get in the way of anybody else unless they're above average to star player and i think De'Aaron fox gives you that chance i think you're going to get him i think he's the cheapest available star as well not even maybe some people don't want to call him a star even though he averaged 25.7 assists in the nba um so you don't want to call him a star but i think he's the cheapest available needle mover because of the log jam they have at his position they if you draft a point guard two years in a row you can't charge me as much for the point guard that you aren't working out with that you have on a max deal while you've been losing longer than anybody in the NBA has. Like I'm going to fleece you as well. You're next in line. Um, and then in terms of what you said, in, like as a return, I mean, you got to make the salaries match with, you know, hopefully Fournier. I mean, you know, Burks, Noel, whatever it may be. And then from there you load them up with picks, whether it's three, whether it's four, I mean, I, I feel like three should be able to get that done. Dean Dean said this package earlier, but it's all, it's kind of been my frame for every package for any, like, actual star that I want to acquire. You throw as many picks at them as you want, you make the money work, and you say we've got some young players that you can just from. And I think in the case of De'Aaron Fox, they shouldn't even need IQ that much because they already have two-point guards um, or whatever guards people want to call things. And, you know, from there, you give them Obi. I think Obi fits in well there. I think you get Obi three or four picks and the Saudi make a match or whatever. 
I think that's a solid deal. I don't know what else they're going to get from other teams around the league or what the temperature is like on that, who's offering that many picks and a player, a young player they can add in their lineup. I don't know how they value that, but I know I was eavesdropping in a Sacramento Kings chat, a space on Twitter that was titled, where do we go from here or something like that? And they sounded miserable and they were all ready to move on from Fox. And I think when you have a player that, and it wasn't even like for being mad at him, but it's just like the position that they're in as a franchise. Like, why do you have this guy on max money in front of these other guys who you're drafting? Like, you know, so I, I think that's my main target. I don't, I don't really see Bradley Beal trying to leave or anything like that. Like, no. And I think you can keep Emmanuel quickly and make him that six man. That everybody wants him to be. And you can have Fox, Reddish, Artie Randall, and Mitch. And I think that's a very formidable lineup. And I think you still have a solid enough bench. And, you know, you can really win some basketball games. You can get to the basket. You can have the paint pressure. Um, you have a solid pick and roll. And that's a very, very, like, Fox is a very capable defender. He gets steals. He gets out in transition. So we'd have a solid defense as well with that. So I would really like that move. And it seems very realistic. And I feel like if there's a chance to make it happen, then you got to go for it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a consensus for me as well. I think you guys hit every possible point you could with Fox. And I think Drew's been on this as well, where it's there's not really anyone else that you can realistically get at this point that can vastly, vastly move the needle. And I was just playing around while you guys were talking on trying to make the money work. You could keep quickly, technically, but it, like Burks would have probably have to go, Kemba and Obi at least. And then you can maybe play around with either Nerlens or whatever, but you still get to keep the bulk of your guys. And how do you not do that? I know Perry has connections there. I'm sure he still has some connection, but I think you got to at least push hard for it. Like at least go for it. If they, if the Kings want to play hardball, the stupid teams seem to not trade, pull the trigger in time and the Kings fit underneath that title. So I would not be surprised if the Kings end up getting cold feet, but make the effort. This Cam Reddish deal left you a bunch of pretty much every asset. They didn't, they left, they sent out their worst asset, Knox, and one of their lesser picks. You could still, you still have the Mavs pick. You still have a bunch of picks on top of that. I think you just go for it. I don't, like I'm on the same wavelength as Sean as well with Miles Turner. Would he be nice? Yes. Mitch is just as fine and for a much cheaper price. Keep him around, give him a second contract, show that you can develop guys and sign them to second contracts. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. And then I'm on to the Christian Wood thing. I don't know about you guys. If we do talk to the Rockets, the only thing I'm talking about is Evan Fournier getting shipped out and us eating a massive John Wall contract. But I do not want that anymore. I want I want De'Aaron Fox. I want him now. Yeah, I mean, they, they got to sell some pieces here, man, the, the next two, whether it's in a De'Aaron trade or not, uh, in a Turner trade or not. You got all, you can't just, this is why I wasn't so big on the off season ahead of time. As it was happening, my live reaction was like, all right. I mean, if you, if you just want to run it back, like that's cool, I guess. Uh, but it was running it back with like capping us out, you know, after you factored in the Fournier deal. And I just wasn't that big on that. Cause I was like, we didn't really upgrade talent. Like we didn't like Fournier supposed to be on paper offensively right but given the the shit storm of defense we've gotten at point of attack this year it's not been the case now they've been better since it's turned to 2022 but point stands that they got to move some pieces here and 
doing that, smart franchises sell high on guys. Like Nerlens, like his deal, like his value right now is probably not super high. It was probably really high after last season. But Burks is playing really well. Like you got to try to see who wants to take Burks for the highest price. I mean, look, I, I really, really enjoy Alec Burks here. I appreciate his efforts. I, I appreciate the, the sort of connective tissue, the glue that he has become. Uh, in a lot of respects and, and being a reliable, consistent guy, big minutes most nights to, to kind of play whatever role you need him to. But at the end of the day, like talent wins and there's only a certain level that we can, you know, get from guys on this team, Alec included, and you got to try to see what that can net you. And, you know, my point of this is like Sean and we keep repeating, there's only so many minutes right now and so many, things that you could do with the guys that you have with them sort of being in, in largely that same kind of talent group. And you need to upgrade that as at a certain point. And because then you get too many, just too many things, you, you know, there's too many cooks in a lot of aspects with either the young guys or the picks and you, it's time to cash in a little bit. So sell off some of these guys, create some minutes, real minutes for the guys going to be coming in, whoever you plan to really upgrade with. And let's see what shakes. I mean, it's time to get aggressive. Um, you know, like Mike said, we could make a, a Fox trade and still have assets, like a good amount of assets to make an, another pretty sizable move or another couple decent moves. Like, it's not like, you, you know, I, the common retort to any of these trades is, oh, but if we get a Fox or a Turner, does that make us a, a title contender? No, for the 10,000th time. No, it does, and it's not, it doesn't have to be because we were just a first-round exit team pretty swiftly. So the goal now should be, how are we going to be a real playoff team every year? Guaranteed every year. First round is the, le the least we could expect. The least. Guaranteed. And then from there, is this a real, like a real chance to get to the second round and beyond? That should be their only focus right now. Get back to the playoffs. Do we have a real shot at the second round and beyond? To me, that's what you think about. You get a guy like Fox, or a Turner, like you go, okay, well, we're closer to that. What moves can we now make in addition to that? There's always more moves. There's always more moves. The Heat teach us this all the time. I will reference them every time. I don't care if ever, you guys are sick of hearing it. They're capped out. They have no picks. They get into a jam with a trade or two. They find a way out because they're just wheeling and dealing all the time. They don't care about the consequences. They don't care about luxury. They don't care about nothing. They're just, they, they care about where, how are we going to get back to the playoffs? And then once we figure that out, we know how to adjust the team to be an even better playoff team. That's it. That's all that I want now. That doesn't mean scrap all the assets, spend them carelessly, but that means you know, the Knicks are in a really good position now to be a little aggressive, to be a little risky. You got to take some gambles now. So hopefully we see it. Hopefully we see it. I thought the cam play was a, a creative upside move, but there's only so many creative upside moves we could do here. You know, at some point you got to just get the, the upside realized and just kind of really start to, to win and capitalize on that now. And then the cams, if they work out, it's a bonus. Then, then those are the kinds of like real needle movers. Oh, you got a Fox, but now Cam is balling out too with RJ and Randall's producing. Oh, suddenly, suddenly this team looks a little bit better. Suddenly this team looks deep, you know, but it's not all about just like, okay, just don't trade anybody, hold tight and, and, and pray Cam works out in 20 minutes a game. And then that's all we could do. We, we got to get past that too. The, the, the conservativeness has gotten to be a little too stiff for my liking. So hopefully this is the, the beginning of something like Sean has mentioned, like a lot of fans feel like this is a cursory trade. I hope so. I really do. And one more point on anyone that's a little, I don't know if afraid is the right term, but just doesn't feel like Fox or whoever or any type of upgrade is worth it. 
one thing that I think it was Ian Bagley or it was some somebody in the beat. They said if Cam, this is before today's trade, if Cam does land in New York, it's the intention that the team plans to sign him to a second contract. So they clearly like Cam this year and beyond. So why not try and get a guard that complements that type of player as well as RJ and Randall? I just don't understand what the real downside is here. Yeah, like you, you got it. You got it. You have to take chances. That's how teams get better. That's how moves get made. Everybody's always asking that question. Oh, but can he be the number one player on a playoff team or a championship team, a contender, blah, blah, blah. You, you never know that. Like you never know that if you don't go get somebody. And like Kyle said, like, does it make us a contender today? No, but honestly, I think us acquiring De'Aaron Fox is probably the best path toward being a contender that we can make right now. It's not like somebody's out there just readily available. And like, I want to get ahead of what's going to happen. The more that De'Aaron Fox's name is going to be mentioned with us, the worse people are going to pretend he is. And De'Aaron Fox is a very, very, very good basketball player, a very, very, very good point guard in a very, very, very shitty situation playing for Luke Walton. And I think that if he can't, he's also the type of guard that Tibbs has always loved. So I think Tibbs would love De'Aaron Fox and he would be able to get into the paint. He'd break defenses down. He's a capable defender. Um, he's quick. He's fast. All of that. He's, he's a very, he's a floor general type point guard. Like he can really set guys up. I mean, he commands a lot of defensive attention. Like what's not to love. And when you get that, and he's also, what is he? 24. He fits the timeline. You put him next to our, the, and you know, like the RJ Barrett that we've seen in the past week or so is what we've all like before we had that one Pelicans game we pointed out. We were like, this is the peak version of RJ Barrett that you see. Like this is this we saw what he would be like when he hits that level, and it's like he's that guy right now. Does he continue to be that guy for the rest of the season? I would hope so. I mean, we're not gonna get thirty point games every night, but I think we're gonna see more scoring from him, more of him, like more usage, things like that. But just as he develops and grows having a De'Aaron Fox develop and grow next to him as well. And, you know, like that team developing and growing together, that's the best possible way to do it. Yes. You become a better team today and you have a team that's young enough to grow together and keep playing together. And I mean, ultimately, like if, you know, like Mike said earlier, with the way things go, you drafted RJ Barrett third. If this goes right, RJ is our best player at, at some point in the next few years, two to three years, RJ becomes the best player on the team. So if RJ is the number one guy, and then Julius is the number two guy, or even if De'Aaron De is good enough to be a number two on a very basketball team, especially in a couple of weeks. So there's so many ways they can go and it will make us a much better team. And you have to make, we've been, we've been screaming this since, you know, D'Angelo Russell was on the trade block. Like you just have to go get somebody. You have to make that happen. You, have, you can't keep holding the assets because the longer you hold the assets, they become guys who you're not getting minutes in your rotation. That's all it becomes. Yeah, that's literally – I mean, look at the – Lakers are a good example of holding on too long, much lesser – less extreme of an example, but Taylor Horton, Taylor Horton Tucker, whatever the fuck his name is, that was supposed to be like this big all-star. Where's he at, you know? So they didn't trade on him. They're kind of stuck in the mud. So I, I think you kind of just got to take some swings. So, I think the Lakers have bot accounts to pretend Taylor Horton Tucker's a good basketball player. It's really, it's, they, they really the said he was better than RJ Barrett, and that really like pissed me off at the time. And that was before last season. 
And I'm sure there's still Laker fans that believe that, which is pretty funny. Bro, it's hilarious. They they had him in street clothes the summer league at 20 yeah. years old. Like you're not that good, bro. Get on the court. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, nah, I, he, he's not that close. I mean, every fan base always generally kind of we know for sure from experience overrates their their own uh, young guys. Almost Sean like on that spaces before when they were talking about uh, you know oh well you know who I consider untouchable is. You know, it's not many. It, it's just RJ and and Grimes and Deuce and also quickly and also Obi and uh, like you know, not everybody is is amazing and perfect and untouchable and destined for superstardom guys. Like I, so, I get it to a degree. Like Lakers never have young prospects anymore. They get one and they're like, "This is the guy." I'm telling you, this is the guy. You just gotta wait and see. He he, he gives you like one seventeen four and six game, and then. You don't hear about him again for like two weeks. He's scoring like two points, four points. He's just doing nothing. He's not that. He's not good. He's not good. LeBron's doing an excellent PR job over there for him because he he is not good at all. He is not him. He is he's the opposite of him. He's not him. Yeah, he's not that guy. But um, no, nah, I did want to quickly before we shift gears because like, I do want to talk about uh, one Rowan Alexander Barrett right now and his excellent of him. It, speaking of him. The excellent stretch of uh, games, really, since the calendar turned to 2022. But um, I asked you guys earlier for some of your absolute wildest Cam Reddish takes, good or bad. Uh, this is going to be in lieu of our normal mailbag thing. And I just wanted to read some of them because I said the best ones would make the pot. Uh, and and there, there were some good ones. I, there's no analysis here. I'm just reading them off. Okay. And, you know, if this is your take, you know, good for you. But I want, I want these boys here to just you know, get a good laugh, get a good chuckle because it's overreaction season, baby. We made a trade. It doesn't happen often, so we got to just glow in it for a little bit before we actually see these guys play in the court. Uh, so we're coming out the gates hot here, all right? First one from my boy uh, Julian. We just acquired young Paul George. Sorry, that's not wild. It's just a fact. Talk about it. Talk about it. That's a good way to come out the gates. Young Paul George. I'm here. I'm here for it. Good shit, Julian. Uh, from of marks and men i've got cam reddish means the solution at point guard is going to be broadway barrett i appreciate the help but no that ain't it okay okay it's fair i appreciate fair. the enthusiasm's there i love the ball Our... in RJ's hands but he doesn't he can get a point oh this is from our boy uh harley okay reddish has never been used at the four but I think it could be beneficial long-term to experiment. Uh, sorry, I switched the work tab. It, it would be beneficial long-term to experiment with it given his size and length, at the very least with reps there in practice, since it's unlikely Tibbs actually tries it in a game anytime soon. Well, we know Tibbs hates Obi. And just before I go further, Harley, we miss you. And this yeah. was actually... He was part of the first draft season crew, and this ended up being our first season. So we actually spent a lot of time with Cam, and I completely agree. I think this guy could play two through four, and we know Tibbs hates Obi, so I guarantee you we see our uh, Cam at the four at some point. Makes sense, because Tibbs does say Obi. From at pay for play nine, we got Cam is closer to being KD. Than to Knox. 
I did ask for wild, so I can't fault anybody in this thread to be quite honest with you. But <laughs> you guys did bring uh, you guys did bring the heat in ways I was not expecting, particularly. <laughs> that is a Randy Johnson fastball. I was not expecting a Cam KD comparison at all. He's technically not wrong. I guess he would be closer, but that's like me saying I'm closer to death than birth. So I, I, I don't know. That's just that's. I mean, <laughs> shout out to you. RJ and oh, this is the same guy. Sorry, I can't read two. I'm sorry, there's only one submission. It was a good one though. I just got to pass. Um, should use that one as the first one, buddy. <laughs> that uh, from our boy Haspi here. Uh, if Cam eventually gets paid and becomes our starter, and Grimes keeps improving and demanding minutes with his play, we're gonna have a Randall slash OB 2.0 situation on our hands because they're both sort of the same player, and I don't really see them on the court together. I mean, I, I get where he's coming from. I think that they're both wings and, you know, like they can, there's a way, there's a world where, you know, you have, there's two wing positions. So at the end of the day, if RJ and Cam start and Grimes is, you know, if we move Burks and Fournier is not playing, whatever. Ultimately, if Grimes becomes the guy who's like the first wing off the bench, he can play with Cam, with RJ, with anybody, you know, I don't think that's much of an issue, but that's, I see what he means. Yeah. It's yeah, a good problem to have. Right, exactly. I was about to say, it's one of those good problems they both are two-way players, but I think of Grimes is more of a low-maintenance sniper. I always think there's going to be room for Quentin Grimes. Obviously, they probably can't share the court a lot together. At least RJ can. I mean, they could, but chances are they can't. But I do think Quentin Grimes fits with just about any scheme you need, and I do think if he does want more minutes, they should find him more minutes. And, yeah. From at Shawnee Mick. Cam Reddish is just a taller version of Devin Booker. You are certifiably insane, sir, and I enjoy it. Taller version of Devin Booker. You know, I, I hope he ends up being right. Devin Booker with defense would be a crazy addition. <laughs> so what do we got? We got Paul George, KD, and Devin Booker so far. That's comparison. Quite the player. Uh, I got another one here. <laughs> uh, at Canes underscore 1283. RJ and Cam, the next Kawhi and PG. Talk about it. Talk hey. about it. Two two way wings. Ma many people are saying this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cam and Reddit. Here's another one from at. It's like Nah with seven H's underscore B. Cam and RJ both averaging twenty plus points per game next season, and Randall gets traded for Zion next trade deadline. Spicy. That is a hot one. Uh, multiple fronts. I don't think Randall's getting traded, nor do I think Cam's averaging 20, so this qualifies as wild. Another fastball. Well done. I think Randall's going to – my dream is Randall, an older Randall, kind of takes a step back and lets Zion fulfill his destiny as Randall with hops. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> he did replace he, – he replaced him in New Orleans, and, you know. That's true. It's that a prophecy. True. <laughs> so but yeah, we, uh, we'll go ahead Sean oh no no uh, I don't think that trade would happen especially not that soon uh, um, and but hey man if Cam is averaging 20 next year next start that'd be really nice I got one here at Joe with a Y under, underscore Y uh, that is probably uh, Joey good bro yeah okay <laughs> Cam Reddish has a higher ceiling than RJ RJ is just more likely to actually hit his ceiling, though. 
That's such a good I, leaning statement. <laughs> I disagree. Me too. Only because only because I've been arguing that people didn't like RJ coming out like the draft guys didn't like RJ coming out of the draft, so they tried to argue his like his his ceiling down pretty far to give him the the high floor argument. And I've been pushing back on that quite a while. We all have actually, because we all like his all around game. So, I, I if you're a big Cam guy, I see, I can see why you you would have this statement. So I I get it. I just think you're very wrong. Yeah, I do too. And I think Cam is like a Hooper's Hooper. Like people that like call like fancy themselves like a true Hooper, they're gonna like someone like Cam Reddish. So I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Yeah, I, I disagree, but it doesn't anger me, especially because he said RJ is more likely to reach the, you know, I, I get where he's coming from. All right, last one, and then I do want to pivot. I don't want to, you know, go too, too nuts here because I do want to talk about RJ. We keep saying it, and we haven't done it yet. But um, last one, because it makes me feel good to read this one specifically. This was the one I wanted to end up. Uh, from Mario M at Triple M, what's up? Cam Reddish yeah. will be on the roster. So dramatic pause for effect. Whenever the Knicks win the championship. I agree. As do I. I like that. I choose to agree. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm making a conscious decision to go against that, to choose to agree in this moment. Um, so we'll shift gears here quickly now. Uh, but yes, thank you guys for all those submissions. It was a lot of submissions. I'm glad that you guys brought the crazy out with the takes. But RJ Barrett over the last seven games has been delightful, to put it lightly. Uh, it's been a down year for the three of us on this podcast. And, you know, I think in a way we needed the down year because we were so exhausted after you know, the full-on sprint that became the victory lap last season with the, the R.J. Barrett takes. I mean, it was, I mean, after like the 15th pod, if him just, you know, averaging 17 points a game and giving you a pretty elite defense, I mean, it got tiring to come up here and talk about how good second-year player R.J. Barrett had become uh, for a playoff team as a central piece. It, it made me, like, my heart hurt from just physical you know, just being pushed so hard from all the running that the laps that we all had to do collectively in the, in this podcast and in, in our slack really uh, everywhere, you know, it was, it was quite, a, quite, quite, quite exhausting. So I think we needed a break. I think we needed a break and RJ gave it, gave us that break briefly for a couple of months, but he has woken up in 2022 with a vengeance. Uh, I don't know what has gotten into this young man. I don't know. I mean, I, I do, I do. Well, basically what ended up getting into him was they, took the ball out of Fournier's hands in terms of the force feeding him actions endlessly to just let him meander through the paint with the ball and chuck up these clanking bricks. Uh, again, I don't want to slander Fournier too much. He has played a little bit better lately, but it's mostly because of the offensive shift that we've seen in this calendar year. Uh, Randall suddenly isn't tasked with having to do 200% of the offense anymore. He's suddenly back to doing what he should have been doing, which was a lot of it and then playing off of RJ as another initiator. Uh, Fournier should never have been the secondary initiator for any portion of the season. He should have always been, at best, the third option, maybe a fourth, which he's sort of fallen back into now, which has made his own life easier. But RJ has been given responsibility with the basketball to make plays. You know, you see that they come down the floor, 
we complained a lot to start the year. They basically try a little handoff, and if nothing's there, the offense kind of sputters. Now, that hasn't been the case. They come down, they do their little handoffs, try to get into a set. Either it works, or then they reset. RJ gets the ball, you know, or RJ comes down the floor. He sets up the offense. They're throwing different looks using RJ now, and it's making him more comfortable and confident. It's helping Randall get back on track. Flirting with the triple-double the other night. I think he was, what, two, three assists away. He had 17, 12, and uh, eight. So, I mean, pretty good. This is kind of what you want to see from the Knicks. You know, Fournier's playing well. All he's got to do is worry about hitting some open shots. We know he's giving it back up on the defensive end, but, hey, at least he's hitting his shots. That's why we brought him here. And RJ's able to just do his job now as a rising star, not just as a guy sitting in the corner like they had him for the first couple of months. So, uh, you know, it's just been it's been great. And I just want to, you know, before I toss it up to my my boys here, you know, I just want to talk about his averages real quick. This is just a going back. Uh, to the 31st of December, his last seven games here. So mostly just the, the 2022 stuff, but 36 and a half minutes, okay? He's taken 19 shot attempts. 24.6 points per game. 5.4 rebounds a game. 3.3 assists, averaging about a steal. And again, those 19 shots, he's shooting 48.5% from the field. He's taking about six threes per game shooting about 43%. Now, he's getting to the free throw line a little bit more, almost six times a game. His free throw percentage is disgusting, and the only negative thing that I have to bring up over this seven-game stretch, it's like 65%. I mean, it's just, he's like a center. It's like watching Prime Shaq sometimes shoot free throws. I, I hate it, RJ. I mean, the only thing you got to, everything's going great, buddy. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. But I mean, the free throws is I mean, it's a brick, to be honest with you. But everything else, sniper again from deep. Everything's been great. Uh, my favorite thing is these little mid-range shots that he's been doing. Uh, whether he's just pulling up and hitting them, it's been very, very fluid. But he's also been patient, even in the post. We see these little spin backs that he does, these little fadeaways he's been hitting everybody with. He's been rocking the baby, getting these guys to fall asleep before getting in, getting the bucket. So, I mean, really, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure to see him get back on track. I mean, our agendas took a serious hit. We're starting to see him kind of show why he could be this type of guy again. And at a time when they really needed it, they needed a guy to come in off the wing, as whether you want to you know, say he's doing it as a guard, a wing, whatever. He, he's, a, he's a perimeter offensive initiator that they needed this season that they, they kind of didn't have. Uh, so it, it's good to see somebody, you know, step up and, and for him to be the guy that has stepped up. It, it's been truly a joy to watch the RJ Bear masterclasses that have been happening. And I mean, it's even more of a joy because I really thoroughly enjoy being right. And as you said, Kyle, we were gassed from the victory laps we took all last season. But you know, I'm, I've been working on my cardio just like when I'm not gonna do that. He's shot well this week. Um, but you know, I'm ready to go. And RJ's really been hooping. And on the, you know, the moment that we found out that Julius was out for COVID protocol uh, right before that Thunder game, I tweeted and I was like, RJ's about to go nuts. And it was while he wasn't exactly in a strong point. People were like, oh, you know, wake me up when that happened, blah, 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 blah. And they look really stupid right now. And I spun a block on a couple of them and I'll be back for the rest of you. But um, he's been hooping ever since. And it was because I feel like there was a shift, especially because Kemba went down at the same time, which I didn't expect. But once Kemba and Julius were in that game against the Thunder, our only choice really was to give the ball to RJ. 
And, you know, he started driving and getting to the basket. Even though he didn't shoot well, it was like, clearly, this is a thing that can happen. In the Toronto game, he wasn't as effective, but it just, it, the more of the offense started running through him a little bit, and he started being more aggressive with his touches. And it's a huge difference in the way we're playing. And now it's like, before that would happen, like one game or two games, and then we go back to freezing them out. I just don't think now that, like, he's arrived. RJ Barrett is here. Like, that's three 30-point games on pretty much 60% in the past week. That's not a thing that happens. Like, there's there are three people. There are two other people that have th three or more games, or at least the other day they were out. I don't know if it happened again with someone else. But it was LeBron James and DeMar DeRozan. It was very exclusive company. Those are two MVP candidates. R.J. Barrett just did that in a week, three times, back-to-back -back on national television. He had a, a matchup with Luka Doncic and was the best player on the floor. Like, these are things that are really happening. Like, it may not seem real because, you know, like, you're, people are like, oh, you know, he does this, and then he goes back to, you know, he did it to Spurs, and it was, oh, he's playing against G League players. And it's like, bro, like, you can't even name two people who aren't playing today for the Spurs. But because, like, you you know, and so then he turns around and does it on national TV against the Mavs who won six straight, number one defense, you know, all of that. He locked up Luka Doncic, had him in jail. Like, Luka looked like he was afraid of his shadow when RJ was around. It was beautiful. He wasn't finishing at the basket. He couldn't, like, Luka likes to bully people or blow by them, and he couldn't do either RJ Barrett. Like, it's not sweet over here. It really isn't. And now everybody's starting to realize, the entire league will start to realize that it is indeed not sweet over here. RJ Barrett is not playing. Please respect him and refer to him as Star J Barrett because that is who he truly is. Yeah. And even more important than the raw numbers is just his demeanor. Like one thing that stood out to me as usually when he drove, drove to the rim, he'd be trying to force it. He'll try and force it. Now he's kind of looking for Mitch a lot on the lob. And it's to the point where Mitch isn't even expecting it because he's expecting RJ to just go up with it. But we're starting to see him see the full floor instead of just trying to get his own. And I don't think it was necessarily selfish when he would try and get his own. I think he was just trying to make the most of his attempts with the ball. But, yeah, no, it's it's finally – I feel like we're starting to see, like, the RJ that we know that can reach that peak form and kind of seeing what he was like at Duke when he was the focal point of the offense and the defense. And I feel like that was always the decision. It's kind of going back to what we were talking about the first half of the pod where if everything goes well, you want RJ to become that guy. And it's year three. He was supposed to make that jump. It didn't look like it in the early part of the year. But I think now we're starting to get to the point where he should be taking that step forward. Over the last seven games, he's shooting more than Randall. So maybe it's time for Randall to subtly kind of take a side seat in the sense where RJ becomes the main playmaker. We'll see what happens when Kemba comes back. That's a really good point, Sean, that I've kind of avoided because I love Kemba so much, but maybe RJ is just better with someone like Emmanuel quickly starting a point guard where he can play off ball, but he could also play make when RJ is not on the floor, or just when RJ just needs a blow from playmaking. So anyway, all that to say, I think we are finally getting the right role for RJ. And I think this is how, we get him to level up even more. I think it's just really simple. You know, they use him to initiate. We've been saying since like the rookie year that he had passing chops. He had some floor vision. And I know like if you look at the raw assist numbers, it doesn't really reflect. But like he moves the ball around a lot and then he resets and he moves kind of well based off of that. He sort of understands the flow of the game real well. Um, so I think yeah, I mean, you got to just run some of that offense through him a little bit more. And with that, you know, 
I think he had some jitters maybe the first half of the year, just in terms of he wasn't getting as much opportunity. And when he was, it was pretty much like, I'm going right to the rim, like recklessly right to the rim. Like I just got to, I'm going to just try to make something happen strong as I can, fast as I can straight shot. You know what I mean? And it basically resulted in some ugly games because he really wasn't finishing the way he should have been to keep it a buck. Right. But Last month or so, we've started to see him kind of be like, all right, I'm going to halfway drive into the paint and I'm going to just pull up right here because they're going to give me this jump shot. I'm going to take it. And then that went from I'm going to take it and I'm clanking it. Remember, there was a time when he was taking them too, but then he was coming up way short, way short, pulling up, no legs, right? But we've seen this little adjustment now where he started to like anticipate some of this stuff a little bit ahead of the time, basically, is what I'm seeing. Like, sort of anticipates, oh, this guy's going to sag off me as I got to get to the rim. Oh, he's expecting me to kind of like barrel into him. So I'm just going to pull up here. And it's been smoother. He's also been, you know, learning more about what defenders are going to actually do as it's happening in real time. Yo, you're going to overplay me this way. I'm just going to pump fake. I'll, I'll, I'll backspin this way. I'll go up for a little up and under. I'll go up for a little, you know, I'll just, I'll shoot on this side instead of this side if you're going to jump at me this way. And he's just kind of been smarter and more patient on top of, just being tasked with initiating and being sort of that lead guard. So for me, it's less of like, oh, Randall's got to take a back seat. It's more like you, when you've got two talented guys like that, you want to see them kind of alternate and take turns with each other and off of each other because it's only going to make their lives easier. This is sort of the whole thing that you want when you have a budding player like that. So it's sort of like, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, we talk about all the time, right? Tatum was like the first guy stepping up because his offense, right? Everybody knew it. Tatum was going to be the next dude there. Everything was great. And then Jalen Brown started like, I could do some stuff too. I could do some stuff too. And then every year it was a little bit more and a little bit more. And now both those guys look lights out and incredible. And it's not like, oh, well, who's, who's the one A? Who's the, who's the number two? It's just those two dudes. And that's how you ultimately want it to be here. You want it to just be not just, okay, well, it has to be Randall all the time. Now it could just be those two guys, RJ and Randall. You just know it's both those guys. That was the identity they wanted to build last year, leading into the lefties thing, the, the big comebacks, right, for the both of them, changing narratives. So I think they gotta, they've got they been doing that now this last seven games since this, this calendar year started. They just got to stay the course. They're only going to be successful if they have a guy who's that impactful as a perimeter player. And we've been saying this for so long because they haven't had it, and, and it hurts them when they don't, when a guy's not even playing like that. But if RJ's going to step up and play like that, then – it's a big break for them. It's a big break. You know, it buys you this time to be patient and do what you want to do and wait for the right guy, whoever that is, right? But RJ's just got to keep this up now the rest of the year because those first 30 games were real painful. But Tibbs also has to make it a point to keep making sure he's got the ball in his hands. And there's a lot of like, – I feel like people don't know how to watch basketball because earlier in the year they are doing that whole, well, Randall doesn't pass him the ball. Randall hates to see him get going because then he doesn't get the ball. Like we, we're really weird shit, you know, just people just watch games through these wild narrative driven, you know, lenses. And it makes me very upset. I, w I wish better for you guys. They've been working great since last year. There, there's no, if there was going to be a problem, there would have been a problem last year and they wouldn't have won all those games. Randall passes to him frequently. Randall looks for him frequently. Randall knows what spots to throw the ball to him. in. Just because a guy gets looked off on possession does not mean that Julius Randall hates RJ Barrett. It just means that sometimes you don't think you can make the pass or sometimes you just miss the pass. It's not the end of the world. If generally you're finding the guy, but they work. This is my issues. They work really well together too. In the last game against the maps, there was two plays that were my favorite plays and they ended up being turnovers. 
two plays that ended up being turnovers are my favorite plays. I'm going to just say them real quick because they made me happy. The first one was in the first half. It was on the right side of the court. They played off each other, passed the ball up and down a couple times. They were just trying to get RJ in position, right? RJ comes back off to the three-point line, and then he was going to go backspin, fast as he can. Backspin, poof, he was going off to the rim, right? Randall knew it was coming, hump, fastball. Like Mike said before on this pod, Randy Johnson, fastball, fast as he can. Right on the money, hits him in the hands, just way too fast. Way, way, way too fast. One of the fastest passes I've ever seen. Goes out of bounds. But he was wide open, and it was perfectly timed. It was just too fast. But you could see how anxious Randall was to get the ball. Like, oh, we got him. We got him right there. We got him. That's the play. Made me very excited because I was like, damn. Like, like the backspin plays are always exciting. Like, because to me, it's like both guys knew that you're going to game the defense, and then you do it, and you have the lane. There was no help coming at the rim. It was, was going to be a dunk. It's going to be a big dunk. But right, they missed it. That's okay. The timing was right on both their parts. Didn't work out. Second half now, second play. It was in transition. Somebody missed. I think RJ got the ball, gave it to Randall. Randall starts pushing the ball back up. And then they do this little, like, give and go, but it was very rapid. Because, like, Randall ends up, like, RJ got the ball, gives it right back to Randall. Randall goes like this one hand, chucks it, hits RJ on the hands again, goes out of bounds, though. But I loved it because it was the same thing. They're playing in transition this time, in transition, and it's just one or two dribbles back to you, one or two dribbles back to you, back, 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 just throwing it off of each other, right? They have good chemistry. They have, they have a good understanding, a good feel for where each other are going to be. They need to be empowered to run through each other at all times. You can't worry about force feeding like a Fournier. Fournier, the whole point of him was you don't mind spending on the shooting as long as it's a luxury item and he's shooting in the corner. That's it. This, like, chemistry, even when the plays aren't working out, but they're looking for each other. And, they, and you see, too, like, you, and Sean, you, Mike, you guys play pickup ball. You play regular ball all your lives, right? You know when you have, like, a play, and you, as, soon, as soon as you fuck it up, you walk over to your teammate and you're both like, no, 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 like, we, we had him. It was the right idea. That was it. You've been seeing a lot more of that with those two lately. It's just going, mm, fuck, we had him. We had it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Right idea, we're going to get him again. And then you go out and you win the game by, you know, 20, whatever it was. To me, like, they're doing the right thing. Like, they just got to really stay this course now. Like, really, truly, like, this has to be, it's going to be up and down still. RJ's still the young player. You know, Randall's still having a tough shooting year. There's going to be ups and downs. But, like, this, like, just the style of play, the offensive shift, to me, is the most encouraging thing. Like, they got to just stay on this course now exactly what RJ needs, exactly what the team needs, exactly what Randall needs. It's got to maintain that. It's got to stay this way. I also wanted to shout out to RJ real quick because I think it was, I forgot what point it was, but Thibodeau kind of called him out where he was like, I think they were struggling. He's like, people aren't in the gym like they used to be. And I don't know if we said on this pod or I remember we definitely said in the Slack where some people took exception to Tibbs publicly calling RJ out. But we loved it, and we said if RJ is who we think he is as a worker, he's going to turn it around, and he's done that tenfold. So that's just another trust in the system and a trust. Yeah, and for, for what you were speaking to about their connection, it's, it's huge. It's huge, and it's huge for us as a team, and people need to just let it be that. Like, it doesn't have to be some kind of mutiny or okay, like blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, it is what it is. Like, like they're chatting RJ Bear every night. That's beautiful. Um, I know he's enjoying it. And I Randall loves seeing RJ succeed. Like Randall looks for RJ all the time. 
I think if there was less of it going on, it's probably because RJ wasn't hitting the shots he was kicking out at this point this year, earlier. But like now, even on that, uh, the where RJ got his 30 uh, last night, uh, Randall looked for him, then he hit Luca with the step back, which was so beautiful. I watched that so many times today. But, um, you know, he hit Luca with the step back, he knocked the shot, and he was celebrating, and he like literally like called Julius. He was like, Julius. And he called him over and like gave him a hug and was like, you know, it looked like he was saying like, thanks for like giving me the 30 before we got out of the game. Like, you know, this made it a point. It looked like Julius was intent on getting him his 30. Just the same way Julius walked up to Kemba and was like, yo, you on, you on TD watch. I'll get you the assist. Like, you know, I think he has that same rapport with all the guys. And I don't think he's a selfish player. He makes him out to be. But as far as RJ, he's always looked for RJ. He's always been super supportive of RJ. Um, and I love the way that they work together. And yeah, like allowing that both of them to work that way. And the thing about the thing that's so exciting about these RJ games is he's not doing anything that's not sustainable. It's not like he's going, you know, seven for eight from three all, all these nights. Like, you know, he's he's showing and he's showing so many different things. He's doing it in a versatile way as well. Like, you know, that that shot in the post where he, he got Jalen Brunson. And I like that, too. Like so many times are and it happens so many times in the playoffs. Like I remember being at game one and screaming. And it's just like, bro, like, there's no way they should ever be able to put Trey Young on RJ Barrett. It should never be able to happen. He needs to be in the post immediately, scrap whatever's going on in the offense, post-touch for RJ. And, you know, it looked like that's what happened now. Like, he had uh, Jalen Brunson on him. And it was just like, oh, forget what we're doing. Here we go. Set you up the same way that we set Randall up on that elbow. We set RJ up. He backed him down. Came across the lane with that little fadeaway. Boom. So I love seeing him get post touches. I love seeing him work that way. We saw him come around the screen and pull up. Uh, you know, that, that pull up is beautiful. That mid-range pull up is going to be the shot to terrorize the league. It makes RJ Barrett like a 26-point-per-game scorer when it becomes really, really consistent. Because like, like you were saying, if you've got to back up or whatever or play the drive like that or you're going to close out, whatever it may be, he's going to put people in a lot of stress when they're trying to cover that. Because if he's able to pull up from that mid-range with consistency, it's going to be killer. Um, that go-to movie has now where he drives at the big and then spins back and fades away. Like, every single time he does it, I want to cry. Like, it's beautiful. Like, I'm just enjoying this so much. Um, and, you know, for him to be locking up Luca last night on national television, like to the point where even the announcers are like, yo, like when RJ Baird is on Luca, he's having a very tough night. And, you know, to be the best player on the floor, um, it's beautiful. And it's funny because after his last 30-point game, I was like, you know, I like him to 30 again tonight. Like, that's really how I felt. I was like, plays well against the Mavericks most times. Um, yeah, I like him to get 30. And, you know, now it's just something, you know, he broke the record for Knicks uh, uh, having 30-point games by 21 or whatever. He'll be 21 the rest of the season. That record is going pretty far. I think he's going to have quite a few more 30-point games. And it's not like he's going to get it every night. But I think from now on, for at this part of the season, I believe that we will get a 20-point-per-game score on R.J. Barrett just based off the usage and the confidence. I think that even, even on his off night that he's had recently, he's had one off night. And on that night, he hit a game winner. So, you know, even that night was a balloon to his confidence. And it's just like he's – the sky's the limit. We've been saying it. But now we're like, you know, we're, we're taking off off the runway. And I think we're all in for a very, very, very exciting ride. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the defense was kind of a, aside from like just playing point a little bit more, they needed to, to show back up defensively. Like you can only control so much offensively some nights, but, you know, defensively, I don't know what it was, but there was a time, you know, before he got COVID where he was really fading on that end. He really wasn't playing. I mean, sometimes you just get your butt kicked. I mean, it happens. It's not the end of the world. I'm not going to say it was some, you know, low effort problem, but. But whatever it was, he wasn't seeing the floor well. He wasn't – he was late on things, whether it was rotations or just 
moving his feet. You know, the normally he likes to play those passing lanes a little bit too. He wasn't really getting there. Um, so I don't really know what it what it was specifically, but to see him kind of come back to life from the defensive end, and obviously not just the Luka game, but this stretch, but especially the Luka game, uh, I think that's a big one that, that, you know, he's a confidence player, both ends of the floor, and I, I think that's something that you need. You need to get some of those big wins under your belt with a guy like Luka, shutting him down. Uh, when you're guarding him 1v1 like that, so that you can kind of like, yeah, I, I can do this. You know, same way we know he plays, he gets up for those Bulls games because he knows it's going to be hell no matter who he switches on. Same thing. Like, he showed up and goes, oh, all right, I got Luka tonight. And he did a good job. I mean, it, it helps that Luka's playing like a slob this year. I don't know why, but uh, either way, I mean, he shut him down, and that's all that you could really ask for. So, I mean, the, the, the points are great. I'm always going to love points the most. Uh, big, big points guy. Uh, most important thing in the NBA, points. You got you to gotta score. You know, spare me the defense talk, baby. You got to points talk, man. Points talk. So, yeah, 30, 30 back-to-back was great, but playing defense against Luka like that is especially great. You know, a little cherry on top. Feels great. And on, on top of that, just like, uh, I guess, like a quick circle back to the Cam thing, I feel like that's another thing that excites me about the Cam move. Like, Cam coming while RJ's coming into his own. But also, like, you know, if we get to the point at the end of the year where Cam is starting next to RJ, and we get into a playoff series with, let's say, Chicago, you know, we don't have to now be like, damn, okay, RJ is going to be on Zach, but that means, like, DeRozan's going to torch us. I mean, those guys are going to get theirs regardless, but it's like you can put two legitimate wing defenders on both of that team's players, and I think that's a huge deal for us. Yeah, and even going a step further, maybe next year when it's a little more mature, you can really trot out a lineup where you can play with a four – Core a core four of Grimes, Reddish, Barrett, McBride, or if you want to do quickly, there's a lot of versatility on the defensive end for Thibodeau right now. Young talent that could really defend. So that's really exciting. Last note here before we get out of here. Looks like Cam Reddish is going to wear number 21. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. The Knicks posted a... Uh, image of him and Barrett he was rocking 21 so good chance that is going to happen um Kyle I know we are going to do mailbag but I have a mailbag question for you what did you think of <laughs> what did you think of Frank Nilakina's glorious return to the garden where he didn't miss a shot I think you're a scoundrel <laughs> for this question <laughs> I, th- I think you're a, you're a terrible terrible person for setting me up with this question uh, I didn't think he was going to see a minute on the floor. I thought it was going to be like Christmas again, where his mom came in to watch him and he didn't play a single minute. I thought that's what we were going to get. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, he, he came out. What did he hit? One three? Right? Yeah, no, I think it was a two. I think it ended up being a two. It ended up being a two. Drilled it so. inevitably. Uh, I mean, I mean, people really love that guy, man. I I've never seen such a bad prospect get as much love as Frank Nielakina <laughs> has gotten in his life. I've, you will never find a bench warmer who, who will coast the jobs for the next two to three years just off of being solely beloved and because people find him handsome. It's a, it's a really, it's a special thing. It's a special thing. Uh, the, the commitment Knicks fans specifically have to this agenda long after he's been gone is, you know, I, it used to make me angry. Now I'm just impressed. This is an impressive thing that it is now the level that it has reached. I mean, you guys are shamelessly rooting for the Mavericks just to watch a crumb, a crumb of Frank Nielakina minutes, whenever you can get a crumb. I mean, I mean, get help. 
get help's the best way I could say it. I mean, you just really seek help, seek help, please. I mean, there's better, there's better former Knicks to watch. I, I, I assure you, this is not, you don't got to spend the rest of your days watching the Bizarro and Knicks down in Dallas. The, the alternate timeline where, where Chris Stapps was playing still here. We, we luck into Luca in the draft and then it's just the same exact 2017 roster with Luca. I mean, there, there's better ways to spend your evenings, but yes, I mean, Frank came in, uh, you know, he only, he does just enough, just enough where I can't totally shut it down. It is sort of the Frank thing is what it always comes down to. It's, it's never, I never a hundred percent get my way. I 98% get my way. And then the 2% is always just enough to keep everybody going. And then the 2% last night was he hits the shot. And then the net, of course, of course he hit the shot. Of course. That's all I was going to hear. He just needed one. He just needed one. He didn't need to do nothing else. He didn't, he didn't even do his normal 7.2-2-2-2-2-1-1 special of stats. You know, not even that. Just needed to come and hit one shot. That son of a bitch did it. He comes off the bench cold. This time, though, uh, cold, and, and he ended up hitting it. You know, last time he came off the bench cold was the playoffs for us. I heard a lot of excuses about uh, why his body was not warm enough to guard one Trey Young in a situational position. But this time he came off the bench cold and drilled that motherfucker. So, you know, good, good for Frank Milikina, man. Really, I mean, you know, flourishing in his bench role there like he flourished in the bench role here for us, I suppose. God, that was better than I even expected. I was expecting something along those lines. I got to give the people what they want. I mean, you, you tune in, you tune in for this, you tune in specifically for that rant. I mean, you listen, people are... I like when people should come here for my analysis. I like to think I'm very smart. I know basketball. Uh, much to everybody on Twitter's, uh, you know, they, they would like to disagree, even though I'm always inevitable and right in the end. But really, you come here to hear the Evan Fournier and the Frank Nielakina rants. I, I know what you people want. Uh, it, I don't know why. It's this anti-Frank agenda that's taken over this podcast, but here we are. So it is what it is. But... We got to stop this thing at a certain point. So this is going to have to be it. Uh, appreciate you guys for tuning in. I uh, appreciate you guys for listening. Of course, uh, especially love uh, all the guys getting active lately with us in spaces, whether it's post game trade reactions, whatever, uh, jumping in with us, everybody chopping it up. Uh, we just always, we have such a great Twitter community to say it almost every podcast at the end here, for those of you who make it all the way to the end. And uh, it's always nice we get to actually just straight up talk with you guys. You know, you guys are driving to work half the time, running to the bathroom, listening to the your desks, whatever it is, to, to get some questions in, to get some conversation in with us. And uh, we always appreciate you guys making the time for it because, you know, we, it's an enjoyable conversation for us. That's why we, we sit there on that thing for, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours to chop it up with you guys. So always appreciate when you guys take the time, not just to listen, but to actually interact, to actually, you know, ask us the questions to converse with us. It's it's why we do what we do. Uh, you know, it's for you guys in the end. So, uh, like making you guys feel like you're in on the action with us there. So, you know, keep, keep jumping in. We're going to be doing a lot more spaces soon. Uh, we've been doing more lately, of course, but there's always time to do more opportunity to do more, especially when the Knicks are finally winning again, to some degree. And we all feel good about hopping on to talk about the New York Knickerbockers and not the same two to three issues plaguing us in the like we've, you know, First half of the year was like watching the same loss over and over and over again. So things are getting a little bit fun again. Uh, you know, sort of the same thing last year. Things started picking up around this time. We went on a nice little run. So hey, uh, just keep tuning in. You know, keep following the Knicks. Well, you guys got us just now to 42,000 after last night's game. Uh, the big David Lee number, you know, shout out D Lee, former New York Knicks all-star legend, David Lee. 
Uh, so happy to get to that number. That was a big one for us. I had it marked on my calendar there. So thank you guys for that. All 42 plus thousand of you guys for following uh, means the world to us. So look, uh, we got tomorrow off. It's been a good week for us pushing this RJ Barrett agenda. We got Cam, got a couple days to sit on it. And uh, Saturday, we'll reconvene. Uh, you know, we got this big Hawks game coming up, the, the Kevin Knox revenge game, many people are calling it. Uh, so we will see what ends up happening there. And I would like to tease, we got a big guest coming up. Uh, don't want to quite give it away just yet, but uh, this is a, a, a noted scholarly man, a, a noted author of books that he has put out, uh, booked a learned man. Uh, if you go back in the history of the Knicks Wall podcast, and you scroll all the way back to the very first episode that we ever did five years ago, six years ago, you will notice that this was our first guest that we ever had on this podcast. And now we would like to bring on this soon-to-be New York's New York Times best-selling author onto this podcast to chop it up with you guys. So uh, if you're following us on Twitter at the next wall, you will see uh, a little teaser coming out. And we'll talk about it then. But yeah, uh, big, big, big guest coming up this weekend. Excited to get that uh, out for you guys. Uh, that will be the Monday episode of the podcast. So we will uh, get that to you then. But stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for the Kevin Knox Revenge game. And hopefully these W's and this RJ Barrett propaganda keep taking off the way that we hope. So we will talk to you guys next week. And uh, that's it. Let's go next. See you later. Go next. Adios. Peace.